0: Peace of love, party people. It's Talib Kweli, the host of this fantastic program you're watching right now called The People's Party. I got my homegirl Jasmine Lee in the place to be. Give it up for Jasmine
2: Lee in The People's Party. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Jasmine. What's up? How you feeling? I never know what to do with my hands on here. <laughs> you're supposed to know. You're a comedian. I know.
0: You're supposed to have that all taken care of. I got to set something up. Well, you know, today, I always say that Every episode is going to be fantastic and interesting and wonderful. Um, It's because with the People's Party, I get to interview people that I've known for years often. I get to interview friends of mine that have been successful at their craft and have stuck to the grind and really have a lot of knowledge and gems and jewels and inspiration to spread. And today is no different. Today, we have one of the premier music video directors of a generation. I mean, this guy raised a bunch of directors you understand what I'm saying he's a New York City legend you know him for his videos that he did with 50 Cent he did like 25 videos with 50 Cent but he's done videos with all types of people now he's really popping in the Latino music scene with the videos he's done short films he's done documentaries he's directed movies including a classic where I'm from called Soul Plane ladies and gentlemen give it up for Jessi Yeah. what
2: up
0: Jesse?
1: how you feeling how's everything good 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 to see you bro thanks for
0: having me thank you for being a guest on the people's party i'm excited i am excited too i have a lot to talk to you about you understand because your name has come up a couple of times (laughs) you know what i'm saying you met jasmine
1: before what's up jasmine
2: hey jesse
1: how you doing
2: i'm great how are you doing i'm
1: good can't complain
2: what is that in your glass over there
1: just some emergency.
2: Oh, emer- okay. Yeah. I it's see. fluorescent yeah, juice. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, supposed yeah. to chug it though.
1: I know, but I just sip on it. It's just <laughs> <Okay>. the same.
0: <laughs> it's an emergency cocktail.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, you know,
1: I travel a lot. So honestly, it's actually airborne, mm. but I'm on the plane like every week. So I just, you know, I usually pump a lot of it to try not to get sick.
0: Yeah, I do the same thing. doesn't work all the time. Mm. I do a lot of emergencies.
2: I just pop them right before, right right. when I hear a sneeze, I chug an emergency and I'm cured. So Jasmine, I don't know if you know this, but me and Jesse came up in New York around the same time. Mm. That is true.
0: We used to see each other a lot growing up. We knew a lot of the same people,
1: went to the same parties all the
0: time.
2: Oh man. That's true.
0: Shout out to your brother and your partner in crime, Yuli. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and my brother, sometimes we were like the very few Latinos in the spots, you know? (laughs) And we sort of look alike, so a lot of people always thought we was twins, so we right. kind of stuck out, and my brother has, like, big energy. He does. <laughs> we used to have a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the life of the party.
0: He uh, always is the life of the party. You and him formed a company together, TNT Casting, right? Yes. And that came after y'all got cast in Juice?
1: Yeah, well, the first, you know, film set we we were on was uh, Juice with mm. Tupac. And um, that sort of came like just us, a bunch of kids in in Jamaica, Queens, watching Video Music Box. Right. Shout out to
0: Ralph McDaniels.
1: Exactly. And they had an open casting Mm -hmm. for Juice. Now, at that point, we didn't know what it was, but we thought there might be a lot of girls there, so we kind of just (laughs) went to hang out. Right. And I met Winston Sinclair, which was the casting director at the time, and Mm -hmm. and, um, she asked us to come back because in that moment, there weren't a lot of Hispanics that showed up to the casting, and they needed Mm -hmm. some Hispanic kids and... They Had us come back and meet Ernest Dickerson, and he was like, You guys would be perfect. And my, I remember my brother had like right. a pimple on his nose, so he, <laughs> he threw a band aid over it, and then the director looked like, rough. He look mean. <laughs> he <laughs> looked rough. He was like, We like that, we're gonna go with that look. So Ernest then, uh, came
0: from the Spike Lee world, right? He was a, a cinematographer, cinematographer for Spike yeah, Lee.
1: Everybody on the, in the juice camp came from the Spike Lee world, so right? It was like people that might have been assistants on his movies, right. and this was their first time, the young like, hungry mm-hmm. people in key positions, yeah. You know? But for me, you know. Um, in college I wasn't studying film right so that, that was my first year in college mm-hmm. so when I s- went to the set of Juice and then you know Pac wasn't a huge star yet so like mm-hmm. everybody you know Tretch was one of the extras with us as well right that and was then, that
0: scene in, where everybody's fighting with Tretch and all that well we had beef with Tupac so Yeah, we were part yeah, of yeah. the Latin
1: gang where my boy Vincent Laresca played the right. mess so but that was when I was working on the set I saw a bunch of people that looked like me so that sort of shifted you know my my thought and said wow you know I didn't know that working in the film industry could be like a real job and career. Mm. And when I went back to college, I shifted my major. Uh, And I started studying theater and I started studying um, film.
0: Now you are Dominican. Dominican. Born where? Born in New York, the Bronx.
1: Okay. So we grew up in the Bronx. Like a lot of Dominicans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, a lot of my family, Washington Heights and Corona. Right. But um, when my father came from the Dominican Republic, him and my mother, they stopped Mm -hmm. in Corona first. Then a lot of the family was in Washington Heights. And then my father got a job as a super of a building in the Bronx, mm-hmm. two blocks from Yankee Stadium on 161st and Walton Avenue. Mm-hmm. So that's where we grew up, you know? So that was like, for us, it was mainly like a Puerto Rican neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then when I was around nine, 10 years old, we, you know, my mom, my father was the super of the building. He was like the king of the building. But my mom was like not into living in the basement. and you know? right, She was like right. pushing to get a house. And my father ended up buying a house in Jamaica, Queens mm. on the block of the Bristol Hotel. Remember LL had that yeah, song the yeah, Bristol yeah. Hotel? We lived oh, yeah. on that block. Okay. So, uh, you know, my father saw the house in the daytime. He didn't know that it was like, you know, <laughs> we'll hardcore go down at night. at night. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then we moved to Queens. Um, Do
0: you consider yourself, like we had Be Real on the show. And he talked about, watching mellow man ace and the people come before him his ogs uh being presented and marketed as a uh, mexican or latino or hispanic groups um and he said when we rolled out cypress hill we didn't do it like a latino group we just did it like a hip-hop group mm-hmm. do you present yourself because spike lee presents himself as a pro-black director mm-hmm. do you see yourself as a latino director as just a director
1: you know, I. I- we battle that all the time, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that I see myself as a Latino director because I want other Latino kids to get inspired and say, mm-hmm. you know what, the same way I was on the set of Juice and I saw other people in positions yeah, the representation. Power, they can say, you know, there's a kid in the ghetto somewhere going, you yeah. know what, I can do it because Jesse Terrell did it, and he's Dominican, and he's Latino. Um, it's unfortunate sometimes that we don't get the ability to do certain projects because they mm-hmm. look at us as like a Latino director, and they don't offer me projects that don't have people of color in them. Mm-hmm. You know, so so, and I'm just like, my camera is not Latino. You know, right. I'm using the same camera, everybody <laughs> is using got right. the same education. Right. Well, all of a sudden, when I used to walk into my agency, they they would be like, these are the hundred movies happening in Hollywood, and these are the five that are going to go mm-hmm. to somebody that looks like you. And it's unfortunate, but that's the facts. Right. right. They're not going to give you... You're not going to be in competition with all the white directors on movies with white stars. Right. Or a movie right. that pops up with a black star
0: or a Hispanic you a star, shot. you got a shot. Um, so you might... The inclination is, of course, to do it independently, but then you need the funding for that, right? Which yeah, they need. And not just the funding, but the avenues to market and promote and everything that they give you access yeah, to, Yeah,
1: right? and look, I, I think that there was a when Spike was coming, there was a moment to like be heard. So like he couldn't just be a director because there weren't enough, there weren't any black directors. Mm-hmm. So he had to be a black director, had to be the voice of a whole culture, you know? Right. So so now I know that, you know, there's a lot of people that are, that are, that used to feel a certain way 10, 15 years ago. Right. But now people are more empowered. You know, that that doesn't bother people as much because we have powerful black showrunners, powerful black talent, writers. And on the Hispanic side, you know, there's a lot of Mexican directors that have been winning the Oscars every year, right? So, right. the you know, the Latinos are representing, you know, even though our culture is a little fragmented. So it's sometimes it's not the same.
0: Right, all of our cultures is fragmented. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got your start in music videos. Yeah. Um, and you, the story goes that you wrote a concert video for a group in Canada. And the directors in Canada the people you was working with, they couldn't bring your vision to fruition.
1: Yeah. So what, what what happened was when, um, when after we worked on juice, um, my 30 in college, I mm-hmm. had shot a short film and I was like studying theater. thought I was going to be an actor first. And then like Ron Howard turned into a director after my acting okay. career. And then, um, you know, a stint of playing, like, you know, Drug Dealer 1, Rapist mm. 2, you know. And, <laughs> like, and, right, and, and, You was know, on, like, Law and & Order. And... Yeah, yeah, and a bunch of stuff like that. And it was always a, a similar thing, right? right? And then you get there and they wanted, like, you know, Scarface was so popular, they wanted the Scarface accent. And I was like, yo, yeah, I don't talk like that. Right, like I'm not dude. Cuban. And I was like, he's not Hispanic. Right, so exactly. He's accent, Italian. <laughs> exactly. It's a little bit like, I'm not sure if I know a lot of right. people that sound like that. Right, you just so, gotta do an Al Pacino impersonation. Exactly. So at some point, you know, I, we got, our, um, me and my brother got offered an internship on a film called I Like It Like That. So mm-hmm. we started working on that internship with Darnell Martin. With Darnell Martin. So I worked with the producers on learning how to put a movie together and with Ann Carly and this guy named Victor De Jesus, and my brother worked in casting. So when he started working in casting, he saw that there was like, at that time, there weren't a lot of African-Americans in the Screen Actors Guild. There wasn't barely any Hispanics. So that's what kind of led him to start a company to try to open the doors for a lot of kids that were trying to do their thing. And for me, you know, the music videos thing started to happen. So both me and my brother shifted into music videos right after. Mm -hmm. And that was partially because the Jews' Treach started, Naughty by Nature started becoming popular. We started going on sets with a lot of the talent we were meeting and Mm -hmm. the hip hop was growing. I found out that a lot of uh, directors didn't write their own concepts. Right. So I started writing concepts. So the first concept I wrote was money, power, respect. Okay. Um, for for, for the, Exactly. Right. And then I started, you know, the production company started saying, oh, this kid has cool ideas. So I started writing a bunch of ideas. And that led to this group in Canada called Ghetto Concept reaching out to me and say, hey, can you write us a concept? So I wrote an idea, sent it to them. <laughs> Ghetto concept said, we need exactly, a concept.
0: Yeah. We don't got any concepts. And, and, and,
1: and this, Exactly. And this, and this was at a time where, you know, Toronto wasn't where it's at now musically. Right, right, And there was a lot of young black artists going, you know, emulating what was happening with like Mobb Deep or Wu-Tang mm-hmm. and things like that. And they weren't ready for that. So they wanted a concept that was very like Wu-Tang-esque. So right. I wrote an idea that was like that mm-hmm. and nobody got it because it mm-hmm. felt like too rebellious for right, the streets right, of Canada. Right. So they were like, you know, Jesse, you should come up and direct it. And that okay. was ended up being my first music video and they got nominated at Much Music for Rap Video of the Year. Shot it for 10 grand and, you know, changed my life. rest nah. is history. Um, Your first
0: vi- big video that hit big in the States was with Jill Scott? Yeah. Okay. We, which
1: song was that? Uh, Getting in the Way. Getting in the Way.
2: That
1: is one of my favorite songs. <laughs> you know, so what was interesting about that is that, you know, I was working with one director at the time, Diane Martell. Mm-hmm. And I would say Diane was the one that- Shout out of, to Diane Martell. Yeah, yeah. She was one of the best ever did it. Yeah, you know? she was a powerhouse. Incredible. So, yeah. so, female director. And, you know, I learned a lot from Diane. And then um, as I was writing treatments in her camp- I was approached by uh, these reps, Robin Frank and Jelena Stewart, and they um, had a young director coming out of Baltimore named Chris Robinson. Mm -hmm. And they was like, yo, we got this director, Chris Robinson. We'd love to put you on his writing team. And then um, Chris... And me never wrote separately. So we would sit in the room, I would fly wherever he was at, and we would knock out a bunch of treatments creatively. So we became creatively. We became a bunch. Really so it was like a factory at this point. Yeah, because Chris might have been doing two videos a month, and now right. we're doing six because right. we're like cranking out these jobs. Right. So whether it was big pun, this, that, we were just sitting in the room and coming up with ideas. Right. And at some point, Chris was like, Man, you know, I want to sign you to my company as a director. So I signed to Chris Robinson, started a company called Robot, and the first job he brought me was Jill Scott. So they weren't sure what the single was going to be. So I did "Getting in the Way" and "Long Walk" at the same time. Okay. We shot them back to back. Okay. And then they chose to release them the way they did. So at that moment, I felt like there was a lot of directors jumping into the game. So I tried to. I was like, you know, this is a big opportunity for me. So I wanted to do something that felt different. Right. So both the concepts were very different for that time, and you know, that was the first video, big video I did, and we got an MTV nomination, mm, and that right. changed the game for me too. Now you are from the
0: same area as Fifty. Yeah. yeah is yeah, that yeah. how y'all linked up? Being from the same, you
2: part know of the what, world? sort
1: of, and, and um, it's not how we linked up, but it's how I knew who he was. Right, right. you knew the,
0: you knew what was going on with Fifty Cent before the industry did.
1: Yeah, because you know, growing up in that neighborhood, you know, I used to see LL Cool J walk through the Coliseum with no shirt on. I'm like, "Who the fuck is this dude? The fucking <laughs> right. chain on?" Right. And then um, you know, Onyx were barbers in my neighborhood, right? right? So we met. We met. I had the wild dreads. Uh Sticky did. Yeah. Sticky yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But um we I met them through shot Skills, because like we used to play football against other neighborhoods, and, and we played with him, and then he introduced us to Onyx. Then um Irv used to be with Mike Geronimo, and we used to see like, so everybody was kind of like running in the similar circles, you right, know? Right. And then um we were in, the, in a scenario where um, you know, his first 50s first songs was with Onyx. Right, when they did that video that little X did. Jam when Master playing. J was the when They were all right. signed to JMJ, So I was tracking 50 the whole time because he was doing songs in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the stuff happened when he got shot and all this right. stuff. And then when he reemerged, I was already doing videos. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of videos with Interscope. So I was re- remember I was doing like Styles P or one of these right, records. good times. And uh, I found out that M signed him. So I called DJ at Interscope and I was like, yo, I want to do 50s from my neighborhood. I want to do that project. And it was like, oh, that project's not up for a while, but I was right. like, I want to do it. And Wankster was already out. So you've Wankster. seen it. Wankster was like a mixtape record. It was already out, you know, it was yeah. buzzing. So then, um, so, the, you know, I got the opportunity. And at that time, I've already had graduated to do bigger videos, budgetarily. Right. right. But I wanted to do 50. So, and a lot of the bigger directors weren't chasing it because the budget was low. Right. So I was like, I'm jumping on this because I believe in it from my neighborhood. And, and, you know, the rest is history. We. We created a good chemistry, and we just started rocking from that point. Yeah, 50 videos, G-Unit videos, the whole family. You yeah, became yeah, yeah. part of the family, mm-hmm. essentially. Trust me, to the point where I used to go to clubs, and people used to run up on me like, Yo, yeah, you G-Unit? I was like, you know, yeah. people ain't running up on Dave Myers because he's working with Jay-Z. <laughs> 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 you know i Like, what is it? <laughs> I was like,
2: yeah.
1: You know, it's hard because they asking you want to say, yeah, I guess I am G-Unit because we're doing so much work. But, you know, me and 50 built a great relationship, you know.
0: What is it about that part of the world that make people hustle so hard? I mean, besides it being hood, because hood's all over the world, you know, but there's a lot of superstars that come from that area.
1: You know, I think that uh, in New York, just in general, we're like on top of each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like, you know, I've been living in L.A. for a long time. Everything's spread out. Mm-hmm. I don't even see people in my neighborhood if I don't want to. Right. You. Right. you know what I'm saying? In New York, you can't avoid it. You know what right. I mean? no not matter what level of class you are financially. You're going to ride the train. You're going to walk down the street. You're going to have to interact and mm-hmm. bump into people. So the competition's right on top of you. You know what I'm saying? So you got to fight harder. You know what I mean? It's like right. when you come out, when you're right. acting on the film business in New York, it's like 10 things going on. Right. In LA, there's 2,000. So people are more laid back here. Like there, there's there's not that much opportunity. You got to fight for it. So it creates a level of ambition and, and hunger that, you know, creates like these type of, you know, and you, you can even see it in music. Like, you know, people, people argue, but the artists, the rappers in New York were always stronger because mm-hmm. the, they were battling and it was like in your face and you had to be incredible to pop out of there, you know? Right.
2: Uh Working with music videos, uh, you know, there's always a criticism of, about you guys objectifying women. Objectifying is, women. Listen, this <laughs> is it is the, the first time you've heard First it Ever? I, heard that. <laughs> I know. Never it's a heard shocker. That. What do you think about that though? What's up? Is that that's your then that's your thoughts on it?
1: Uh, you know, I, I I think that um, you know, they came at me one time when I did this video for Chingy right there. Right. Oh. And they were like, yo, and this, that, and I was at the University of Chicago having a conversation and it You're was. speaking like, to woke college students. What's up? Yeah, He's yeah, 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 Matt. and it was like you know a hundred Erica Badu's and and Jill Scotts, like they were not giving me a break, you know. Right. So I'm like, damn. At that point, I I was working with the roots music, Soul Child, Jill Scott, Angie Stone, and you're gonna. Argue about this one video that I did right. for Chingy, which that's what he wanted, and was I was like, efficient. and I was like, I didn't teach those girls how to do that. Shit. <laughs> I was like, like, like that wasn't for me. Like this,
2: is how you right there? I but, mean, it's but, just it's, it just happens a lot in videos, and you say that you know girls did on Instagram, but it's definitely different if you're doing it on your own page than if it's like you know.
1: No, no, you know what? But you, you can't say that because like what I'm saying is like when you were dealing with hip hop at a certain era and, and you were coming up, girls had the choice sometimes they wore their own outfits, mm. right? So some of these girls, that's how they wanted to be seen. That's what they thought was fly. And that, this is a conversation I always have with people. I was like, you know, when you look at rock videos, right? And you look at rock videos in the beginning. When we were growing up, they weren't hip hop videos. So you were watching rock videos and these rock videos had a tons of girls in bikinis, mm-hmm. right? So you have these young black kids growing up in the ghetto, looking at that going, you know what? That is what success is about, mm-hmm. right? So when you watch like rock kids, some rock kids that are grow up with money, And you watch their videos, they're in the garage. They're like doing everything to run away from what they came from. You know what I'm saying? And you see a young uh, African-American kid, a black kid in the hood, he's putting all his money on his neck and everything. Because he's like, you know what? He don't got shit. So he's trying Mm -hmm. to show you everything he got. And in his mind, that was success, was having all these women, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest argument was never about the women. Because if you see a girl in the Vogue magazine, if you see a girl in the Victoria's (laughs) Secret ad wearing the same thing, for some reason in your mind, you're going, that's classy. Mm -hmm. But that girl... From the ghetto that nobody told how to walk down the runway. She thinks she looks just like the girl in the Victoria's Secret right. campaign. It's just she don't got, you know what I mean? She doesn't have the, the rehearsals of the time. And, you know, so it's like we were trying to do that to what the artists like. You're trying right? to show the beauty. Yeah, because if you saw in that era, if you did a video for Usher, let's say, mm-hmm. and Usher made choices to pick like models that came from an agency, that was his preference in mm-hmm. Girl. Right, and then if you did a video for, let's say, um, Little John and the Yin Yang Twins, they didn't want those skinny girls, right? Right, so you know, so right. it's 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 hard. It's a tough.
2: I mean, I it, can get what t- you're saying with that, whatever, because it is a society society thing that has put into your head that this is beautiful when it's slimmer, and this is not because she's thicker or whatever. But you know, just standing there walking down a runway is definitely different than like you know. No, no um, I
1: know, but what I'm trying to say is that when you do a video and the girls are like popping their butts. We're not telling them to do that. They're just just, oh they decide to do that on their own. You know what I'm saying? So 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 what I'm saying, I'm not saying it's right or wrong and I'm a father of two daughters, right? Mm -hmm. You know? But 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 you know the world shifted a little bit too. So Mm -hmm. back back in the days. They felt like when you see like tip drill, some crazy video. They feel like okay, these girls' butts are so big. This is like crazy. It's like I can't look at it. And then if you look at what's happening now in social media and culture, these girls are getting these butt implants. You know about this the this is true um,
0: hot and hot story Mm-mm. where there's a woman I believe she was from South Africa, but she was taken to Europe and paraded around because she had this big ass, this African ass, and they looked at it like it was like like she was a circus freak but like that to me is the first version of that mm-hmm. um do you feel like as a director what 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 responsibility do you feel like as an artist and as a director and as a director who's working on behalf of somebody to inject your own morals into a video or do you feel any
1: responsibility to do that you know what i think uh the older you get you know your mind shifts you know right. and and i was having this conversation with some young directors and i was saying hey um i'm trying to build some projects and there's opportunities in the world, and I'm like, you're 25 years old, you're working with these kids, like you should be the one that does the movie, that's the menace to society, that shows mm-hmm. this culture. Right, because right, right. I'm gonna overthink it at this age, mm-hmm. you know, and you're gonna give it unapologetic, like you're gonna do something that feels so right to you because you feel like that's how you're living. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna see it from a, as like a father now, from the or, or, or with this heavy responsibility that I gotta make a change. Different eyes, because what we were, tra- what I was trying to do is like. Before I did the video with Chingy, I'd never been to St. Louis, so I said, "You know what? I want to go to the clubs. I want right. to see what St. Louis is about." And I was trying to document a feeling that was right. that was going to resonate to people there, that was going to feel authentic. Mm. So when you watch the video, I was trying to capture what was happening because that's what that's what it felt like to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And hip hop was about authenticity. You know what I'm trying to say? At that time. Right. Now it's about many different things. But at that time, it was about being authentic to where you came from. Regional too. Yeah. And original. If you yeah. wasn't popping in your neighborhood, yeah. in St. Louis, nobody cared. Like, you right. know, if, if I'm like, yo, that's this rapper's right. from St. Louis. It's like, is he popping in St. Louis? Because if he ain't popping in his hometown, I don't care. Right. So it was different. And that's what, that's what we thought we were doing. You know, it was like, we were, we were doing that. And the artists kind of dictated sometimes the journey. Mm. You know, every artist wasn't ready to to be outcasts or be right. different talent that say, you know what, let's push the envelope. Missy right. was like, let's do something yeah. different, right? Everybody wasn't giving you that kind of brief. Um, tell us about
0: acting on The Sopranos. Because <laughs> you got to do that when you was in your actor phase. Yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. if you done with your actor phase. Uh, yeah,
1: I don't know. I don't know. You know what, for me, it's like, um, it's like a boxer. Like, you know, if you didn't train for a long time, you can't just right. jump in the ring. Because I, I respect the craft. So at some point, if I feel like I want to go down that road, I got to like get myself back into that world right. so that I'm a good actor. Right. Mm-hmm. That you episode know? you were on dealt with like reparations though. You know what happened with that, with Sopranos was that um, throughout the years, I would bounce from working production to work with my brother in casting. Mm-hmm. And my brother was working on the project with Christopher Walken's wife, Georgian Walken and Sheila Jaffe, which are big casting directors, right? Mm-hmm. So, um... At one point, something happened to one of their assistants and they left and they were like, you know what, Jesse, there's an opportunity if you want to come work with us. Now I was, I was studying acting, Mm -hmm. right. And I, and they gave me an opportunity where I could be their assistant and read with other actors. Right. Now, when you're working with Christopher Walker's wife, you're reading with big actors. That's right. Big talent. So I felt like that was a great platform for me to like practice my craft and get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So, I was working with them through these projects, mm-hmm. and they would get these projects like Sopranos. And I was like, I love the Sopranos. Right. Like, but there was never a Spanish kind of Sopranos. Right, so, I right. was like, the day there's somebody, let me know because I right. want to be on the show. And they called me to do that thing. So, I, it's not like I, I knew what the episode was about. Right, what right. It was. I just showed up, got shot real quick.
2: <laughs> that's how it always up. happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> showed up, got shot real quick. I was quick. just excited to be on TV. No, you know? doubt. that's awesome. Um, you're one of the
0: few people on this planet that has had a chance to direct. The legendary Robert De Niro
1: and the freelancer ex- film. Extremely fortunate. I feel extremely fortunate. Talk to us about that. You know, it, it was... Um, when we started that project, it wasn't supposed to be De Niro. It was okay. going to be another actor. You know, 50 had called me. And, and, right. you know, that was like
0: his project, right?
1: I did a, a video called... Um, I did a, a video Many Men with 50.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great video.
1: So... So when when we did that video, for me it was like a representation of like his life, right? Mm-hmm. And we were in 50 said I could do whatever I wanted at the time and we were just gonna do something gritty. Right. And, you know, he had um, in the club 21 questions. He was going so pop that M felt like we needed to go back to the roots and do something hard. So mm-hmm. so they gave me the ability to just craft whatever I wanted. And we did something that ultimately became like the trailer to get Richard Die trying. And people mm-hmm. were like press the button, like, this is what the movie's gonna feel like. Unfortunately, the studio didn't see any directors of color,
2: Mm.
1: you know, and what they wanted to do, according to how they presented it to us, was be be like opposite of hip hop, right? So the way they had a Curtis Hanson do 8 Mile, they wanted somebody else. So they got a Jim, um, Jim Sheridan, who did uh, my left foot, right? Right. So they went the opposite instead of going with F. Gary Gray or 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 Singleton. And, you know, I thought I was working so much with 50 was going to be my, my, my jump in the game. So, when, so 50 called me one time and was like, look, man, I got a plan to make some movies, you know, and um, Hollywood ain't giving us opportunities. We're going to take it. I'm going to raise the money ourselves. We're going to go out and make some movies. Okay. He was like, I want to do a movie for $2 million. We're going to flip it, sell it for $5 million. We're going to shoot it in two weeks, blah, blah, blah. He gave me the whole Damn. plan. So I was like, all right, cool. When do we shoot? He was like, between Christmas and New Year's, where everybody's on vacation, we're gonna go make this money. Right. And I was like, all right, cool. And he was like in Michigan. I'm like, it's gonna be freezing in Michigan. Right. And then I was like, it's October. Like, you wanna do a movie in December? You haven't even sent me the script. Right. He was like, Don't worry about it, Jess, you'll fix it up. It's about like, <laughs> he was like, but I got Val Kilmer and I got a small mm-hmm. window that uh-huh. so we can do something. And, uh-huh. when, and when we flip the movie, I'm gonna flip it again, then we're gonna do four movies for 20, then I'm gonna raise a hundred. Right. So I was like, all right, cool. I said, you know what? I trust his ambition and his vision. So I said, you know what? Let's go to Grand Rapids. You know what I mean? We all stayed in the same shitty hotel. It wasn't like he was in the penthouse suite and I was so right. bad. We were all in the same right. bad room right. in the same hotel. It's in like putting on the white t-shirt to get out on that block. And we went and we did the movie. I shot it in 15 right. days and he flipped it and he sold it. But instead of raising the 20, he raised a hundred right away. Wow. And then he was like, you know what? Now the movies are going to get bigger. He was like, I'm a, come with me to the Golden Globes. And we're going to look for talent to put in this next movie. So we went to the Golden Globes and we was trying to find talent. Mm-hmm. We ended up getting the one guy that we thought we were going to get. But through some politics or whatever, it fell through and the movie started pushing. And when they pushed, this window opened up where Robert De Niro became available. Mm-hmm. So they were like, you got to go meet him in New York. So I was like, shit. And They was like, you got to sell him. So I'm like, I got to sell Robert De, right. De Niro. Right. So you this was your job. Out. So, I'm like, man. So, like, I flew to New York. I didn't tell anybody I was there but my my, my brother Yuli. And I was like, yo, come meet me at this hotel. Right. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yo, I got to meet Robert De Niro and I'm on hold. Like, I don't know if I'm going to meet him at two right. o'clock or seven o'clock. You right. know the pressure and stress I right. got to live with it. And I was like, yo, come with me to J. Crew because I don't know what I'm supposed to wear. Right. Like, I know, like, if I wear a suit, he's going to be like, yo, I'm fronting. Right. So, I might maybe put a blazer on, some cool sneakers. I got to let him know I'm urban. So, you're like, the whole. Yeah, yeah, you yeah you because your presentation, through. how Pick- he's going to see me when I walk through that package door. Deal. And um, you know what, when I, when I walked through that door, he was super cool, you know, and the one thing, you know, I'm not going to say it's about this, but you know, De Niro's all his wives were African-American. Yes. So his kids sort of looked like me and I felt like, you know what, he embraced that. He knows that it's a hard road for us. Right. And I felt like he, he, he spoke to me, filmmaker to filmmaker, and he's a director as well. So we talked, I told right. him about some of the, uh, how I saw the movie and he was like, you know what? I'll give you an answer in like the next like 48 hours. And, and he signed on to do the movie mm-hmm. and he would call me all the time and talk to me about character. He would call me so much, break down the character and, and send me like newspaper clippings on like how he sees him and like the research he's doing to like, you know, think about what this man thought about and he emulated on of people that really existed. Mm. And he let me know that I wasn't at that level. Mm. I was like, wow, <laughs> right. like as much research as I was doing to prepare for the movie, I wasn't at the De Niro level. Right. Like, I was like, wow, I got to get my game together. you right. know. And I'm about to meet Forrest Whitaker. And I'm like, yeah, that's the same. And it's the same thing with him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forrest is a different animal because, you know, Forrest, I wasn't getting the opportunity to speak to him as much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first time I spoke to Forrest was interesting because I was like, hey, you know, and at that point I was already cool and I could call him Bob. So I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, me and Bob were talking. Right, right, so, right. So I was like, you guys know each other, right? And he was like, no. Right, I was okay. like, "You don't know Robert De Niro." He goes, "Yeah, we crossed each other at the Oscars and stuff like that." But I don't know; i never really met him like that. And I was like, "Wow!" The day you're coming in, he's fl- we've, we're sending him back to New York on a private plane. You should come back with him. I'm gonna call him and tell him for you guys to ride, so y'all can meet. Me. And yeah. then I hooked him up, so they rode back together and they met on the plane, and it was That's cool, you know. So, That's but it, you cool. know, it's interesting how these guys who are major stars right. like that never really cross paths. You know, but it was, it. you know, it was tough. It was tough because like the pressure, what are you, you going to tell Robert De Niro? Right. he's like I young Padawan at
2: that. that shit. You were thrown out to swim and you swam to safety. You
1: know, but somebody, you know what? I met with somebody in his company and said, you know what? He's a real person. Mm-hmm. He's a real artist and he's a real guy. Right. If you talk to him like that, he's going to respect you, show you love. He respects the art. He's never going to step over the director. Right. But if you come in there like you're the best director of all time, like you're going to put him in the best role of all time. He's already done that. Right. So it's like, you got to just come in at the position you're in and he'll respect that and respect you. So we got along great and he was like super dope. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To come from
0: where you come from to just do that.
1: Oh man, it was amazing. Sometimes I would get off the chair and then I would sit back down and he was like, Jesse come over here (laughs) what'd you want to say right because I was like like, you know what you know because actors don't like when you line read them when you like explain to them how they should act but they you know they want you to explain and tell them the emotion and what you're trying to get out of it but I couldn't explain it so I was just like you know what I don't want to line read you but I would have maybe hit the cigarette created a little moment between you and him so he could get tense blah 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 and he was like I like that I'll try that and I was Mm -hmm. like all right, cool (laughs) one for the Dominican word (laughs) up word (laughs) up Um, how did you get, you're the director of Soul Plane. Yes. How did you come about that opportunity? You know, uh, the short film that I did that was at Sundance was a comedy, mm-hmm. you know, that I shot in Jamaica, Queens. So, you know, just culturally, you know, I think we just like to laugh and, and be funny and do, and, and, you know, and that is just part of who we are. So I, I, I was always a fan of comedies and I I was going down that road and then um, I was playing with an idea that was trading places meets airplane.
0: Oh. So
1: I called my agent and I was like, yo, the airlines are going out of business. And these two guys, you know, that own the airlines look out and they see like a, a young black kid like stealing some shit. Like that's like a baggage handler and they make a bet. Like, let's take this guy. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. So, I, so I pitched it to my agents. Okay. And they were like, oh, you know, I I broke, Like, you know, I worked more on the idea. I pitched it to them and they were like, there's there's a project similar at MGM. And then they send me Soul Plane. And Mm. it was like, you know what? And at first I was like, I don't like the title though. (laughs) It it really bothers me. Why does it got to be the Soul Plane? Why couldn't it just have a a normal title? And they were like, we don't know if you're going to be able to change it. But So they, I read the script and there was a lot of things that I thought were funny so so um, they were like, we'll set you up for a meeting because that project's going to go. If that project goes, your project probably won't go because right. they're too similar. Right. So I went in, met on the movie and then they hired me to, to do it. That movie
0: is considered widely hailed as a cult classic and as a comedy classic and it started a lot of careers but it was also panned by critics when it came out Yeah. yeah, yeah. and not just by critics but a lot of people in the culture yeah, yeah, yeah. felt like that movie w- represented some stereotypes. Yeah. Now, not necessarily the actors in the movie or the people who participated in it but that was the cultural critique mm-hmm. um how did you receive that how did that feel when when it was going on
1: oh it hurt a lot you okay. know they they um they they got me um like coaches to, to deal with it oh wow. you know what i'm saying because they would ask me stuff like they would practice in the studio right before we started doing press. Okay. So Jesse, so how, how does it feel? Like we love, the movie's so funny and they would throw out a bunch of stuff and then like the fifth question would be like, how do you feel about setting the black culture back? Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck you, you know? And then, right. then they were like, no, <laughs> breathe, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, we didn't think we were doing anything wrong, you know? I mean, there, there was a bunch of stuff. Now you got to understand, right? It was one of Kevin Hart's first projects, right? So Kev was like a young comedian. Right. And then you had Monique, you had um, some more. You had all these other comedians that have been in the game a long time. That if you took any of their stand up and you put it on screen, you would have got the same backlash, right? Right. So it was hard to do our urban comedy on screen because every, you know, it's like it's always an exaggeration,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you know, and and, and and so to me, it's like in that era there was a the, that was the era of like urban comedy and there was a bunch of comedies that right. were feeding and, and building a lot of like the the young black comedians and i would ask people I, and i would say hey man if you feel like this joke doesn't work for you or doesn't then don't do it mm-hmm. and, you know and Monique a lot of times would do stuff that i'll be scared of like no we're not doing that <laughs> and she was like stop being a pussy it's comedy <laughs> you know? but you know we were young and you know it was like mm-hmm. hip hop culture like right. you know what i'm saying it was all built on stuff that, it was built on like funny urban stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But that's what comedy usually sometimes plays into. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I you know, I, I was hurt because I felt like the a lot of in Hollywood, the movie became a cult classic, but it was bootlegged like five months before. Yeah, I was gonna ask so you. So that, that destroyed our box office. Okay. Now, I, I was the first person that found the movie.
2: Oh wow. right? right. so
1: the whole investigation and everything that happened around the movie was because of me because some of my friends called me and be like yo, we on Crenshaw and Slauson. Some and people got your movie here.
0: Right. Wow. So
1: there was a how do you want to handle it? And I was like, you know, they said a lot of things. And I'm like, yo, we don't live like that no more. Right. But I was like, I'm going to go get my movie. Right. So I was like, you know, I got and went to Crenshaw and And I was like watching the dudes. And I'm like, what do I do now? And then I was like trying to think it through. And then some dude knocked on my window and was like, yo, dog. You know? He said, what up, cuz? We got those mixtapes. Well, we got that woo kid. We got that this. We got right. that that. And we yo, come on. We got that passion of the Christ. We got that soul so playing. And I was like, whoa. Right. We didn't even have a poster. Right. You know what I'm saying? They had a poster. i <laughs> like, these <Right>. dudes are. <laughs> I was
2: like, it. Was, definitely... <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. Wow. Way ahead. Wow.
1: But there were only five versions of the movie. And I had embedded everybody's name into it. Mm-hmm. So like the RZA had a copy. I had a copy, you know, because Ariza did the score, so mm-hmm. we all. So I'm like, whose version is it? Mm-hmm. You know, so I need to buy this movie. It was the hardest thing I ever did was mm-hmm. buy my own movie. Mm-hmm. Like, what was I gonna do? It's my movie, and I would have got right. messed, <laughs> beat up, right. uh, Crenshaw side Whose so version was it? Purchase it. Yeah, I was wondering the same. It was the studio's version. So right. basically, what what happened was, um, I screened the movie for the president of the studio, and it's hard to screen a black comedy for a white man by yourselves. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and right. at like 10 in the morning. Right. So he just watched the movie, didn't laugh one time. <sighs> wow. That's like the longest hour and a half of my life.
2: Wow.
1: And then he was like, I don't understand the movie. I don't understand the movie. What we're going to do for you is um, Monday, we're going to do a screening in the, ur- <laughs> in the urban neighborhood, put some urban kids and see how they respond right. to it. And then we'll talk about what we do next. <laughs> so he was like, Jesse, you you got to change some stuff because there was some, some effects that um, I left the time code at the bottom, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yeah, but the effects don't look great, and I want people to know that's a work in progress." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Yeah, but we don't screen movies like that. You got to take the time code off." So that movie he sent to Technicolor that weekend for them to take the time code off and make it presentable to screen, and that was the version that was mm-hmm. that was on the street. Mm-hmm. So somebody in Technicolor in that in that exchange, yeah, which sucks because what ended up happening is they just went there. Arrested everybody at Technicolor because it was on the weekend. So it was a weekend crew, which was a small staff. Mm-hmm. And they were like, who did it? Who did it? And everybody was like, that guy did it. Uh, right. You know? Man. And he got like a couple of thousand bucks or whatever he got. I'm like, man, I would have gave you twice as much money not to sell my movie. Right. How long
2: are you in jail for bootlegging?
1: Um, it was one of the the biggest um, sentences they gave him. It was a one year.
2: Damn.
1: And I told the studio, I said, let's release the movie now. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to release it early. Oh, so it sat have. out there, sat out there. I said, when you have a movie that has Snoop Dogg and a bunch of urban people on the cover, people don't think it's coming to the movies. When mm-hmm. they see that on Jamaica Ave. They think it's out. That's they think it. it's out. They yep. think that's yeah. what it is. But I mean, maybe it was supposed to happen like that, that. you
0: know, because it was mm-hmm. like, it was supposed to get to the people. Maybe, I don't yeah. know. You know, You know,
1: it, it, it put me in like, for me and my career, put me in director's jail, we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like everybody that was like, 90% of black Hollywood turned their back because mm. it was like when when you already had like Spike and a bunch of people saying negative things about it and then it didn't perform, everybody was like, boop, boop, boop. They just closed right. the doors. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, just like that. I just got cut out the game. Right. So I was like, you know, I had nothing to do. I, what was I supposed to do? I couldn't, I wasn't going to get any other jobs now. I was looked upon like I made a terrible movie. I would walk in the ghettos and people were loving me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I don't know what to do. So I called 50 and I was like, yo, I got to get back in the game. He goes, yo, I got 600,000. Let's go to Miami and do some videos. I said, let's go. And we started, I started going back at the G unit, back in the music video game. Mm -hmm. And I started hitting that hard again. Say, you know what? I'm like, I'm rebuild back in pop culture. Right. And then, you know, try this again on my own terms.
0: But you also made a conscious decision at that time to start working with more Latino artists as well,
1: right? Yeah, what happened was, uh, you know, um, Interscope, this kid 3-H at Interscope. Shout out to 3-H. Yeah, yeah.
0: His name is coming up a couple times too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, 3-H signed Daddy Yankee. Mm-hmm. So when 3-H signed Daddy Yankee, it was the first time an American label signed a Latin artist. right? And then 3-H was like, yo, you know, Jesse's Dominican, he told Yankee, you know? So I wasn't interacting with a lot of these guys. So then he put me on the phone with Yankee. So me and Yankee spoke, and then I did "Rompe" and Gangsta Zone" with, with, with Yankee, which were his big American um, releases. Right. Then Vin Diesel had a Spanish record on uh, "Fast, and, Fast Furious, and Furious," so he called me to do a video with Don Omar. Right. So at that point, like it's like the cat got out the bag, and everybody's like, "Yo, this kid that's doing all these videos for the N. Fifty is Dominican." Right. So I started like the Looney Tunes. Different producers started calling me like, "Yo, I need to hook up. I'm Dominican too," and I'm like, "All right, cool." <laughs> So, so um, I did a favor for the Looney Tunes, and um, in that video, I met We Cine and Del. So at that point, everybody knew what the Looney Tunes spent. So so they were like, everybody was coming at me with that number. And I'm like, that's not my price. That was right. like a favor I did for the Looney right, Tunes. Right, right, right. But I saw the market growing, you know? And, I and, and you know, I come from New York, so the Spanish music was always there. Right, and, and the music getting was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I was like, you know what? I, I started seeing like the growth, right? And and that was at a time when music videos on the hip hop side started to decline. right. So the budget started to decline, but they started to rise here.
2: Mm.
1: So I was like, you know what? I'm going to ingratiate myself in this market because w- w- what was happening is Mi TRL came out and they did the Spanish TRL. So now they were going Aventura, in sync, mm-hmm. Destiny's Child, We Cindy and Dell. Like these videos were coming out, and I never knew how bad the Latin videos felt until they were in comparison to right. the American yeah. videos. So I was complaining one day, and one of my boys was like, You got two options here. You can continue to complain, or you could be part of the change, but you got to make that decision. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Fuck, I'm about to lose a lot of money. Because <laughs> like, you know, the budgets were so right, low, right. but I decided to ingratiate myself in that market and say, you know what? I want to be the part of the visual change. You know right. what I'm saying? And I want to raise the visuals. If I could do it in the general market, why shouldn't I not do it for my own people? Right. Mm-hmm. So I just went at it and then I got started working with We Sydney, and Dell I did a bunch of videos with Yankee, started working with We Sydney, and The and they, and, and budgetarily, they weren't there yet either, but they were growing. Right. So I said, you know what? In order for me to create impact, the way I created impact with G Unit, I need to do a bunch of videos. I need to build a vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were like, you could do every video. And then we did 17 as those kids were becoming the biggest stars right. in the world. And we just shifted the culture like that. And then, and then, you know, the, it's like you create something that everybody else follows. Now all the, the Latin artists are looking at the labels going, yo, we don't want these shitty videos. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to look better. We right. want to feel better. Like, you know, and, and it started to change. Now the heads of the labels disliked me for a long time. Because I wanted, the artists wanted more. Right. But they deserve more.
0: Absolutely. Where does bond. Um, we're seeing a renaissance. Well, not a renaissance, but, you know, we're seeing some, something new happen in the Latin market. Um, and you're a part of it. You know, you're directing this documentary uh, uh, with Maluma, right? <clears throat> um, what do you think it is that's, making that type of music go so mainstream and competing on that level with the, the Jay Balvin's and the bad bunnies and all that. Like it's
1: a, it's a you know big what I, I think um for me, you know, I, I, I sold a, um, a channel to Google a couple of years ago, one of those stress that they finance, which is about bilingual Latinos in America. And I was doing a bunch of content and I was at a company that had owned my channel on Jay Z's <laughs> channel the life and times on another channel with Skrillex. And we used to have conversations about music Mm -hmm. and, uh, they always talked about like the Latin artists, like on the, on the lower end of the spectrum. Right. Right. And you know, now granted I'm a hip hop fan. So if Rick Ross is out and people are like banging the songs are like, you know, that's what it is. And even the Latin artists are looking at that, like that's the American dream. Right. But from a streaming standpoint, his videos might've been doing 300 million, and Donald Malin them were doing 800 yeah. 500 million. So I'm just right. like if we're in the business of of views then why am I being talked to? Why are my budgets are right. low? Right. You know what I'm saying because so they were like, "Yeah, you know, reggaeton we feel it was a passing fad. It's it was over." And I was like, "Nobody ever told Daddy Yankee." That yeah.
2: <laughs> right.
1: That boy never stopped. Right. <laughs> There's been two moments in time that felt the same when Gasolina dropped and when Despacito and the same guy right. sitting in the same, same guy. chair. Yeah. So nobody told him. So for me, culturally, the music's been gigantic. When when we put 50 and We see and Del together, 50 went on tour for the first time in Latin America, sold 14 million records, never toured Latin America. Right. You know, we were doing shows with We City and Dell, Daddy Yankee, Aerosmith, shit like that, arenas, right? And it was like 50's first foray into Latin America. So for me, I was like, the music was always big. The mm-hmm. only thing that changed was how people consumed music. Right. Mm-hmm. So now People were consuming on computers, right? In the average urban household, there's not many computers. There might be one computer to share. Mm-hmm. But when the smartphones came out and, you know, the Latinos over-index on phones. Right. You know, so in all yeah. those land countries. Same thing in Africa too. That's where people you get the are consuming stuff. the Afrobeat from the same thing. So now with the Spotify's and the YouTube's and all mm-hmm. these streaming services coming out, now there's data. Before it was a guy like me going, yo, these guys are right. big. They're selling right. out arenas all over the world. Right. You know, Aventura came to LA, did four stable centers. We seen that were doing three stable centers. The American artists weren't doing that. They mm-hmm. were in there by themselves. But it was like, you had to tell people, maybe AEG, a couple of people, Live Nation were tracking them. But I was like, but now the streaming services are going, you know what? The top 10 videos of last year, seven were reggaeton. And it's right. like, you can't avoid it anymore. Mm-hmm. But for me, they've been big for 10 years. But now it's like the mainstream is like, now you can't stop it now because no it's doubt. a global thing No now.
0: doubt.
1: You know? But I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited to see the, you know, people capitalizing on it.
0: It's exciting times,
1: Jesse. It's exciting times, man.
0: And I'm glad that you're a part of it, man. Oh, I'm As glad, you, you know. It a certain authenticity to it.
1: Yeah. You know what? You know, I, yes, you know. You know. <laughs> yeah, own it, bro. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 one of the things that I, you know, that I'm very passionate about, you know, and, and you know how it is, you know, yeah. and, and even with hip hop and, and, and for me, I felt like some of the stuff I was doing reggaeton was, was, I was reliving my life again. Right. Cause I did those things in hip hop and I saw how the culture moved in hip hop and I saw the success of a lot of people around me in hip hop. And I felt like if I can take a little bit of that and add it to the Hispanic market, we can create the same things. And even now to this day, it's the biggest music globally. And there's no content that goes against it. That's not a movie. It's not a TV show. It's That's like, right. It's still lacking so much. And there's still so much room to grow. So, you know, it's why I started my company, Cinema Giants. Because at the time, I wasn't being able to... I wasn't supported by other companies when I wanted to do these reggaeton videos. Right, right, right. So I was like, you know what? I got to build my own company, do my own thing. Because I'm like, you know, nobody's going to see the dream but me.
0: Cinema Giants. There's a cinema giant right here, Jesse Terrero. Yeah. Give it up for Jesse Terrero on the people's <laughs> party.